This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Compassion. This is good. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Oh, afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in intimity and lay your foundation with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of the gate and your gates of carbuncles and all the walls of precious stones, and your children shall be taught by the Lord. And great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. This is good. You are established. Listen, he's talking about something really beautiful. This is why he says, I'm going to put you in this carbuncles and, you know, uh, a gate and all these cool stones and stuff that nobody understands, right? Something beautiful. I will establish you in righteousness. This is so powerful, man. This is, okay. All right, let's keep going. I'm getting excited, John. In righteousness you shall be established, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it's not from me. All right. So now, we're living in what times? Are we living in Old Testament times, Noah times, or Jesus times, you know? It has, some, it has nothing to do with the will of God, man. Actually, it has everything to do with the will of God, but it has a great understanding that people don't have an understanding of, of the will of God. The will of God is that justice be served. The will of God is that mercy be given. And the only way for that to happen is Jesus. So Jesus fulfills justice and gives us mercy. See, in Jesus, all of the sin is punished in Christ. If you don't receive Christ, then that punishment still comes on you. And it's pursuing you. But the moment you enter into Christ, if anyone stirs up strife, it's not from me. Why? Because you're establishing righteousness. So why would God punish you again for what Jesus already paid for? So if you're like, hey, I'm being sick because, see, if you believe that it's God's will to make you sick, then you have to believe <clears throat> that you're being punished for your sin, which contradicts the scripture. The scripture says you can't, get pay, you can't pay for something that Jesus already paid for. That's called double jeopardy in the United States. Do You get punished twice? No. God's not unrighteous like that. God is a just God. God made one person pay for it. He's not going to make two people pay for it. Woo! <laughs> Come on, right? If you're being afflicted, it's not from God. If you're being afflicted and you're not in Christ, then what, what happened is you just are under the curse still, which God has provided a way out from. If you come out of the curse, now you're in Jesus. Now if something's come against you, there's a rogue devil out there that don't play by the rules. And we are there to go and defeat him. See? Woo! This is good stuff. Ah! I got me really excited today. If anyone stirs up strife, it's not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. But this takes faith. Listen, we're talking about faith now. Because now, if it's not on God's end anymore, it's definitely on our end. You see? How do you receive Jesus? By faith. How do you receive remission of your sins? By faith. By grace, you've been saved through faith. So you have to believe it, and you cannot doubt. So now it has everything to do with our end, not, nothing, nothing to do with God's end. God already did everything necessary to get you set free from all this affliction. Now you have to stand on the promises of God and believe the covenant, and you have to believe God's not a liar, and all men are liars. But God's not a liar. It's good stuff. 
Man, I ain't even gonna get to the thing I was gonna read. <laughs> Behold, I've created this man who blows the fire. Watch this. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Verse 16. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals. God created the thing that blows the fire. He created that thing. The thing that's coming against you, he did create that thing for a purpose. And that was to judge sin. But Jesus took the punishment for your sin. Therefore, this thing is breaking the rules. This thing isn't following God anymore. This thing only knows how to do one thing. And that's destroy. You see, it, God created it to destroy it. All it knows is to destroy it. So when it comes in the room, it's trying to destroy it. But it's not of God anymore. All right, come on. It's good. Behold, I have, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy it. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. You shall confute every tongue and shall that rises against you in judgment. By the way, I believe um, this is talking about those angels, by the way. You know, we read it earlier about um, how we'll judge angels. It's all about common placements. All about common placements. You shall confute every tongue that rises against you, comma, in judgment. That's my personal opinion. You shall confute every tongue that rises against you, comma, in judgment. In judgment day. I will confute every tongue that rises against me. See? That's my personal opinion. Okay? This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication from me, declares the Lord. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is your inheritance. This is what belongs to you. But you know you got to claim your inheritance. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication from me, declares the Lord. All right, check this out. Let's keep reading. Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. That means you have to come. It doesn't come to you. You have to come to it. This is faith, not doubt. Come, everyone who thirsts, comes to the water. And he who has no money, but come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? <clears throat> and your labor for what that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourself in the rich food, incline your ear, and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know shall run to you. Who are we talking about now? We're not just talking about Israel. We're talking about other nations. We're talking about the Gentiles. We're talking about you and me. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion. Again, there's that word again. Compassion on him. Hmm. Man. Okay. Have compassion on him. To our God. For he is, for he will abundantly pardon. Pause. The next verse is always taken out of context. Always taken out of context. Listen. We just read the most amazing story ever. How God redeemed, how, how, how Jesus took the punishment for my sin. How all the curse and all the sicknesses, all the griefs, all the stuff doesn't belong to me anymore. Then we, then we read about how God no longer sends things upon me anymore. Then we read about how it's not just for the Israelites, but it's for all nations. 
And then the very next verse here sums the whole thing up. See, we think, well, it's God's will. It's God's will. Right? Maybe, maybe we really don't understand. Check this out. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. Now, how many times do we hear that verse used the very opposite message? Oh, you got sick? God's ways are higher than your ways and his yeah. thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Bull crap. I'm sorry. <laughs> Amen. Fooey. Fooey. When we, listen, this scripture verse is not talking about how God's ways are higher than your ways. That's why grandma died. Or God's ways are higher than your ways and that's why you can't get healed of cancer. It's not talking about God's ways are higher than your ways. That's why you're stuck with your sickness and you can't get out of it. That's why you're in a divorce. That's why your kids are dying. That's why, yeah, this is not talking about that. This is talking about the compassion of Jesus. The compassion of God is so high, you cannot fathom it. It's yeah. saying God's compassion is so awesome and so good that he got rid of the curse. It's gone. Jesus died for you, took the curse away. His yeah. thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher than your ways. You can't understand it. You can't fathom it because you don't deserve it. The whole time you're thinking, well, maybe God wants me to have this sickness and for the, all the, his will to, to destroy me because I've been living in sin all my life. That is all bulls not. Yes, Jesus died for you. He's given you a new life. And now if we will receive him and believe and put our faith in him, then his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our ways and our thoughts. And we think, I deserve all this, but we don't deserve it because Jesus paid for it. And if I will receive it, I don't have to walk in that anymore. Yes. It's good stuff. Hallelujah. It's the compassion of God. Sorry, I didn't mean to say bullcrap. I just got passionate. All right. We're going to read this now. Okay. So, ah, Jesus is awesome. So there's a ton of scriptures here. You know, I wrote right here. I haven't even gone through yet. Okay. I'm going to say them in case you can't read them on the video. I'm going to say them in case you're listening to the the uh, the recording. Psalm 103, 1 through 4. Psalm 107, verse 20. Proverbs 3, 7 through 8. Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. Isaiah 53, verse 5. Isaiah 61, verse 1. Jeremiah 30, verse 17. Jeremiah 33, verse 6. Hosea 6, verse 1, Psalm 41, 3 through 13, Exodus 15, verse 26, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Okay, now the reason why I listed all those <clears throat> is because we have this teaching. I'm going to just read what I wrote here. It has to do with compassion, not the will of God. So why is it God's will always to heal? Because he is compassionate. The problem is we have a hard time believing that. Because we are so surrounded by our wickedness that we can't fathom that God still would love me so good, so much. Amen. That's doubt. And the scripture makes it clear, doubt will hinder your faith. We think that the will of God hinders healing, but that's not what Jesus taught at all. It is a lie. Jesus never once taught us that someone wasn't going to get healed because it wasn't the will of God. Never once. Why do we teach this crap? Nonsense. Why do we teach this nonsense? I'm trying to change my mind. Nonsense. On the street, I say the other word. When I'm teaching, I want to say cleaner stuff. <laughs> you know, I want to I want to be able to reach more people, you know? And so why do we teach this nonsense? It's heresy at best and anti-gospel. For a doctrine that really seems to dominate our church, that is, that God's will is gonna make us sick and all that stuff, right? 
For a doctrine that really dominates our church, I would expect that Jesus would have mentioned it just one time at least, that someone did not get healed because it was not the will of God. But he never did that. And of course he couldn't, because that would contradict the scriptures and the promises of God toward his people. And that's all the scripture verse, all the scripture references I just gave you. If Jesus taught that it wasn't God's will to heal somebody, then he would counter all the things I just read to you. Okay? And Jesus can't contradict the scripture because he is the word of God. But I can give you a list of scriptures that state it all has to do with faith versus unbelief. And I think that what Jesus said is much more important than what a pastor has to say or what I have to say. Amen. This post includes, or this, this thing I'm going to give you is another 26 scripture references teaching us about faith and God's will to heal. So, all right, so Matthew chapter 17. So I'll write some of this stuff up here, okay? Don't forget Galatians chapter 3.13. Jesus became the curse for us. That is what removes Deuteronomy chapter 28 curse off your life, okay? And also, it, it, it does the opposite. Now you, get, now you get the blessing, okay? So we're looking at Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, okay? It says, uh, the disciples ask Jesus, why couldn't we heal him? And he answers, because of your unbelief. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. All right, so now, faith in what? Faith that God is actually going to heal him. Faith that God's compassion is stronger than their sin because of Jesus. See, why is God's compassion stronger than sin? Because God's compassion led him and brought him to earth to die for sin. His compassion on its own did not cancel out sin. His compassion caused him to act, which canceled out sin. He did what was necessary to pay the high price that you were destined to pay for. He paid the high price so that you wouldn't have to. This is why we believe in a resurrection. Because death can't even hold me, Jesus. Woo! Death can't even hold me. You know, you're destined to go, oh man. You're destined to go into it, man. You're destined to go into darkness and shine the light. You're destined to die and resurrect. Why do you have to die? Because you have to beat it. The only reason why I'm dying is to defeat it. Death is like another sickness. <laughs> My body, oh man. If I get sick, man, your body automatically goes to war. But in death, we have this, we think, man, when the guy dies, all of a sudden he's not in war anymore. No, he is in war. It's just another sickness. That's just the, I don't know. It's covered. My point is, man, when we get in there, it's not over when I die. Hallelujah. It's over when I come back. Jesus is awesome. Awesome. All right. Woo! Faith, man. Nothing will be, watch this. Move from here, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I don't know what nothing means, but for all those people that have a problem with a radical God, that means nothing. Nothing. That means nothing. I don't want to be sarcastic, but I'm just going to be sarcastic. Nothing. is nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. 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 Hey, listen. If it's impossible for you, just look at it. You know those little, hello, my name is, right? Those little name tags. Hello, my name is. So you need to take one of those little stickers, go to your little impossible situation, put the little, hello, my name is, nothing. And stick that on your impossible situation. Because <laughs> what's impossible for you is nothing. It's nothing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The impossible thing is nothing. 
Here, let, let me, here, I'm just write this, just in case people don't get it. Okay? Impossible situation is equal to nothing. Okay? Just, I mean, nothing. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Impossible. <laughs> nothing. Okay. <laughs> I hope I'm building some faith here. Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 6 says he could not do mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people. <laughs> ah, this is awesome. What do you define as a mighty work, you know? You know what I define a mighty work as? Here, this is funny. I, I wrote this down. Somewhere. Oh, here. I wrote it right here. I define a mighty work as Luke chapter 4. Watch this. Luke 4, verse 40. Matthew 8, verse 9, 16. Uh, Matthew 15, 30. Matthew 4, verse 23. And Acts 10, verse 38. I define these as a mighty work. You know what that was? When everybody brought, got brought to Jesus and everybody got healed. Everybody. So when they brought him to Jesus, they got healed. That's the truth. Okay? Everybody got healed. It says all of them. All of them. That's a mighty work. Now, to you and me, a mighty work might be a few sick people got healed. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a mighty work, man. Somebody's shoulder cuff got, you know. No, listen, dude. A mighty work. Listen, we're destined for this right here. Listen, if Jesus was the king of Brownwood, Texas, there would not be any sick people in Brownwood. Unless the whole town was full of unbelief and they didn't bring their sick people to Jesus. Mm. Check this out. Mm. The whole Jesus is king of the whole world. Amen. The only people that get healed, the only people that get saved are the ones that come to Jesus. And 100% of the time, they get saved. Hallelujah. 100%. So it's what you believe God for. If you believe that half the time they're going to get healed and half the time they're not, well, then you have a half gospel. You have a half faith. You only have probably half a seed of mustard. You know? <laughs> you know? If you, I mean, seriously, right? I, hate, I want to say this. This is a hard one. Listen, you want to know if you have faith the size of a mustard seed? If, if, if you speak to the mountain and it moves. If the mountain doesn't move, then you don't have a mustard size of seed faith. Or you're riddled with unbelief. And I'm the first one to tell you, I struggle with unbelief. Come on, you know? Amen. Listen, dude, I'm, I'm sorry. I pray for, if I go to a guy who has no legs, and I don't have faith for that. I'm just going to be real. Why? You know why I don't? Because I don't really truly understand the compassion of God. Because if I really understood the compassion of God, I would remember and realize there are no legless people in heaven. Right? So, if I understood the redemption, the tr God doesn't redeem us halfway. Or worse, a third way. Think about this. Doesn't God want to save you 100%? But we're a three-part being. Body, soul, and spirit. How come we settle for just one out of the three? Or how can we just settle for two out of three? Because when people read Isaiah 83, they'll say, well... He's talking about mental wellness. 
Well, obviously, you don't realize that you're a third person here, a body. So why would we? Why would we say that Jesus's um, uh, salvation was only for one thing or through two things? Aren't I a three-part being? Why doesn't Jesus heal the whole thing? He does heal the whole thing. We just don't believe it. Well, be it according to your faith. All right, let's keep on going. And he could not do a mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marveled because of their unbelief. Their unbelief caused him not to be honored, and only a few people were healed because only a few were brought to him. This is unusual because everywhere else he went, he healed all that were brought to him. And I already gave you all those scripture verses. Okay? When they brought them to him, he healed them. But in his hometown, he only healed a few people because of their unbelief. They did not bring him but a few. Mark chapter 5, verse, verse 34. Jesus says, your faith has healed you to a blind man. I'm going to erase this now. All right, check this out. So we just read Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 6. Now we're in Mark chapter 5, verse 34. It says, Jesus tells the man, your faith has healed you to the woman with an issue of blood. Okay, Luke 18, verse 42. Jesus says, your faith has healed you to a blind man. Mark chapter 9, verse 23. All things are possible for one who believes, and he was saying that to the father of the epileptic. He says, if you can do anything. He goes, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. This is good stuff. Luke chapter 17, verse 19. Jesus says, your faith has made you well to one out of ten lepers. Now, what did the other nine get healed? Yes. But whose faith? Jesus' faith. That's, that's the difference between the one out of the ten. The other nine got healed because Jesus had faith. The one guy got healed because of his own faith. That's a good word. Wow. Mark chapter 10, verse 52. Jesus says, your faith has healed you to a blind man. Matthew, I know this is long, but you know this is, this, is, this is why I believe what I believe. So as somebody told me the other day, yesterday, this morning, uh, you know, Zach, Zach did all that work for us, and he's just handed it to us on a silver platter. Yes. This is what it took for me to really get what I believe now. So, if you really want to get what I believe now, you need to go through this and study these scriptures yourself. Because it will be inside you. Okay? Matthew 15, 28. Great is your faith! Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Jesus teaches that in faith, prayers are answered. And you have to believe that you have received it. Matthew. Chapter 21, verse 22, it says, Believe and do not doubt. Jesus teaches that if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Whatever. Whatever. I mean, like, how can we want to put limits on this? <laughs> oh, man. You know why we want to put limits on it? Because we doubt. The moment we read that word, whatever, we're like, oh, that couldn't be true. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Anybody know what that says? I think it's... Genesis 3 verse 1 we read watch we read whatever like whatever you ask for you have prayer you'll receive it and you know first thought we go nah right or if anyone believes in me he'll do the same things I've been doing and greater nah you know what that is that's Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 when the, when the devil comes in to, 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 to Eve and says did God really say <laughs> ah 
You want to stop operating in faith? You start saying that. Did God really say that? Really? No. No, that can't be true. Look, you're just riddled with doubt and unbelief. It's okay. You know. <laughs> all right. You know what? We all struggle with it. But not all of us admit it. Okay. All right. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. Oh, yeah, I read that. Mark chapter 4, verse 40. Concerning calming the storm, the disciples say, watch this. You do not care that we are perishing. That's a statement. Not a question. <laughs> you do not care that we are perishing. They declared their unbelief in his willingness to say from calamity. And Jesus responds by calming the storm and replying, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So when you're going through the storm and you think, well, it must not be God's will, he's unwilling to save right now. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> you're in the storm. You're like, you don't care. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, come on. That's what we do. Well, it, it must not be God's will. You're unwilling. Man. You do not care that we are perishing. And Jesus responds with saving them. See, we got to know this. Look, Jesus is the perfect picture of God. However, Jesus responds is how God is willing to respond. We just have to believe it and have faith. Jesus knew what he had. That's the difference. All right, check this out. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Listen, we too cannot look at our circumstances and determine the willingness of God to save. Our circumstances do not declare God's willingness to save. The word of God declares his willingness to save. We have to believe the word of God despite what we see. And we're always destined to go into a fight. Yes, every amen. time. So that's why it's called a promise. You know why it's called a promise? So you won't forget when you're going through a hard time. Yes. It's not just the truth. It's a promise. So, God, by the way, God never calls it a promise. He never says, these are my promises. He says, these are my statutes. He says, this is my word. It's us. It's the people of God that call them promises. And the reason why we call them promises is because there's going to be moments of doubt. You have to remember, God promised. See, whenever I ask you to make a promise, it's because I don't believe you're going to fulfill. Think about that. If I come up to you and say, hey, can you do this for me? Do you promise? What I'm actually doing is immediately stating, immediately stating my unbelief in their capability of falling through. Right. So I'm making them promise me. <laughs> so that I will have a little bit more security, like their first, you know, their... Like somehow, you know, word. like somehow their word wasn't good enough before, but now if they said it again, now it's... Why? Because faith comes by hearing. Right? I want you to say it again so I can believe you. Are you sure? That's what you're going to do? Please tell me you're going to do it. Tell me again. Why? It's not for them. It's for me. So I'll be reassured. <laughs> God's promise is God doesn't call him a promise. We call him a promise because we know we're going to go through hard times where we're going to doubt, have unbelief, and we're still going to have to hold on to that promise. Okay, where are we at? Mark chapter 4, verse 40. Okay, someone needs to have faith. That's all that matters. He is willing. Someone has to have faith. James 1, verse 6. Jesus' disciple teaches us to believe and not doubt, or you won't get it. That's James 1, verse 6. James 1, verse 6. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. says, Paul teaches us to live by faith and not sight. 1 John 
5, verse 4, Jesus' disciple, that's John, teaches us to overcome the world by our faith. James 5, verse 14 through 15, James, which is the disciple of Jesus, also teaches. And I'm saying that, I'm clarifying that James was taught by Jesus. So we're listening. Okay, you hear what I'm saying? John was taught by Jesus. James was taught by Jesus. Okay? So I, I'm, I'm stating that they're Jesus' disciples on purpose because obviously it was ingrained in their brain. It was ingrained in their brain that if you have faith and do not doubt, you'll get what you ask for. James 5, verse 14 through 15, Jesus' disciple teaches, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should always pray and never give up. I read that one to you before in the past teaching. He tells the story, the little parable, and then at the end, he says, but... When the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Okay? Understanding faith and unbelief and its effects on sin and sickness was the meat behind Jesus' discipleship and training. He never talked about the will of God. You remember for a minute. Just make sure I'm not being a heretic. You know? The only time God ever Jesus ever talked about God's timing was when his mom wanted to have him do the, the wine, and he's like, oh, it's not my time. And then she pulled down something that wasn't for her time anyway. She broke the rule. Like, that's the other one. Everybody says, oh, it's God's timing. But here's Mary pulling something down out of God's timing. So obviously that one's not really important. Well, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay, what I'm saying is most people who say that to excuse their faith. Come on. God's timing is a real deal. I believe that. Sometimes we have to be patient. But you know what people use that all the time for? To cop out of faith. Hallelujah. we got to stop copping out of faith. If you're going to believe in God's timing, you better believe it, and you better stand on it, and you better not waver just mm -hmm. because it takes too long. Mm -hmm. Abraham waited until he was 100 years old to have a baby. You know? God's timing, maybe. God didn't say anything to him. Listen, God didn't say anything to him about timing, Isaac. It wasn't a matter of time. It was a matter of faith. Okay? Yeah. Uh, when Daniel prayed, it says that the angel, Gabriel, came 28 days later. He prayed, and the, the, the prayer was, was actually answered on the day that he prayed. He said, listen, the day that you prayed, I was sent. But I got held up by the prince of Persia. Then Michael, the archangel, came and helped me out. And then I, now I finally arrived. So who knows what's going on in your prayer life, dude? If you pray, God releases it. Don't stop praying. Because the angels might need your help. It's a good word. <laughs> I'm serious, dude. <laughs> oh, man, dude. He didn't stop praying. He fasted and prayed for 28 days. He moved things in the spirit realm. Whatever you bind on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be bound in heaven. We release angels, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know that Raphael, the word Raphael means God is my healer? He's like the healing angel. All right, that was just a side. Okay. All right, let's keep going. All right, uh, I didn't want to get off on that. <laughs> All right, where are we at? Blue chip. I'm not saying we should pray like the saints and pray for anyway. 
right. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. One day Jesus told the disciples a story to show that they should always there pray, right? And then, but he says, but when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? All right. So we see, yeah, Jesus taught about salvation, right? But he always led with the kingdom of God invading the earth here right now. Always demonstrated it, and he expected his followers to do what he did. When Jesus demonstrated the kingdom, someone always got set free from earthly and spiritual bondage. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. This, uh, By the way, this is the reason why when somebody says, if it be thy will, I don't get on them. Because I know I can talk to them for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have any scriptures, really. <laughs> I'm sorry. They got a couple, but I can still use those. I, we can get to those some one day. Um, but this is this, this is like I just piled a ton of rocks on the whole theology of God's will. Right? You know what I mean? What are you gonna do with this? You know, this is why when somebody prays in a prayer, you know, about being God's will, well, if it's your will to heal them, I don't get on them because I know I got fifty verses. I don't have time for it right now. Maybe we should sit down for a counseling session. I'll go through the whole thing with you. <laughs> you should have a page that you have printed I mean, off. Like, oh, here you go. Yep. Uh, the devil's a liar. The devil's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want to be sarcastic. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm sarcastic with myself. Because I was one of these people. You know? I was one of these guys that believed that whatever happens is God's will. This is why I'm so adamant about it. Why? Because I'm trying to kill unbelief in my life. So I'm not even warring against people when I do these teachings. I'm warring against myself. I'm warring against the doctrines that were ingrained in me as I grew up. You see what I'm saying? So that's why I'm so passionate about it. I'm not trying to be mean towards people, you know, or be sarcastic towards people. I'm actually trying to shake things that were ingrained in my life all my life. You see what I'm saying? Yes. And I'm hoping that this teaching is encouraging to people so they can break out of this thing too, you know? All right, so where are we at? Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. Uh, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus brought the kingdom of God, and when the kingdom of God came, the Spirit came, and demons got cast out. People got set free. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's the gospel of the kingdom. And this point in teaching was so that his disciples would do the same thing. That John chapter 14, verse 12 through 14 says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me, I will do also, will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. So now, dude, this is crazy. So ain't just talking about Jesus now. We're talking about it's your responsibility. Here's what he just said. Whoever. Oh, no, that couldn't have meant whoever. <laughs> right? Whoever. Truly, I said to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Man. Jesus knew that he would not remain with us. So he made it a point to, theog to theologically teach how this thing works and practically demonstrate as well. So that when he was gone, we wouldn't have all this nonsense teaching about God's will. <laughs> but we failed because we didn't listen to Jesus. Amen. You know what I mean? Je listen, if Jesus, look, all, all the teaching about God's will is is like mainly in the Old Testament. There's one part of the passage in Romans chapter 8 talks about predestination, which I think is just a misunderstanding. Um, when you talk about predestination, you're talking about a pre-design. 
I talk about this with the Expo marker. Mr. Expo made this Expo marker with the purpose and the design, but if it dries out, it is now not fulfilling its predestination, and it's going in the trash. Okay? But predestination means it has a purpose. It had a calling. It had a design. Okay? We were all predestined. Listen, if, if that predestination means that he only picked a few and some of them he left out, that would contradict Ezekiel. It says, um, for he desires not that the wicked should perish, but they should repent and live. So Scripture can't contradict Scripture. Scripture can only back up Scripture. So if the Scripture says God doesn't desire for the wicked to perish, but they should repent and live, and Jesus says that, he does, that, God does not, that my Father desires that none of these little ones should perish, then Romans chapter 8 does not mean that he picked only a few. What it means is he picked everyone. And watch this. For many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? That means he called everybody. They all lined up, and those who had faith and humility, he chose them. Well, but those who did not have faith and did not have humility, he did not choose them. They were all called. Called off the street. Come. All those other people <clears throat> that I invited to the wedding party, they didn't want me. So I'm going to go to the streets now, the byways. I'm going to get all the homeless people. I'm going to get all the people that are, you know, outcasts. And, hey, come on into my house. You know? And those who had humility and believed, me? A dirty, homeless man with a needle in my arm? I can come into this palace? You're going to let me come just like this? See, that takes faith to believe. Amen. And it takes humility. <laughs> Otherwise, an arrogant drug addict would say, I, I'm not going to go in there. That's arrogant. You know what I mean? But it's, it's humility to say, wow, you're really going to let me in. See? It's a blessing. Yes. Woo! Whatever you ask in my name. Okay, Jesus knew, right, that he would not remain with us. So he made it a point to theologically teach how this thing works and demonstrate practically, right? So that when he's gone, uh, his disciples and his followers would do the same thing. He did not limit it to the 12 when he said, whoever <laughs> believes in me. He opened it to anyone. Anyone. Who believes will do what he did. The only prerequisite you have to have is belief. And faith. Again, faith. Clearly, Jesus taught his disciples that faith is how this whole thing works. However, why? Because it is the will. Watch. Faith in what? See, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So if you believe that sometimes God heals and doesn't heal, <laughs> you're double-minded. You don't understand the character of God. You don't understand the compassion of God. You don't really believe that God's so compassionate that he would heal his man's legs and have him grow right back out in the middle of a wheelchair right here, right now. You know? Why? I'll tell you what, if a guy's legs grew out right now, bam, everybody in the whole room would get saved. Why wouldn't God do it? You know what I mean? Why wouldn't he? Scripture's very clear, man. He, we get our prayers answered because it brings glory to God. <clears throat> so when your prayers don't get answered, God doesn't get glory. Check this out. So, what was it? The blind man. The disciples said, hey, hey, whose sin was it that caused him to be blind? His parents or his own? And Jesus said, neither. But so that the glory of God and the wonders of God, the works of God, may be displayed in his life. Boom, he healed him. Why was the guy sick? So he could be healed. And save many. And save many. Now it's in the story. Now it's in the book. Now, Generations of man, get goosebumps and we'll stop. Generations. Now, read that story about the man who was blind and now sees. 
Why were we sick? So we could be healed. Amen. Why do we die? So we can be resurrected. There is no end game, you know? There's no game over. I'll just get right back up. Woo! You know? That's the story, right? That's the good news. The good news is you've been redeemed. If Jesus walks in the room and somebody doesn't get redeemed, then that's false gospel coming. You know? False understanding of the gospel, at least. You know? <laughs> Come on, Jesus is awesome. You know? And that's the moral of that story. But everybody wants to take that thing and twist it all up and say, well, it was for God's glory that he was blind. Did you, like, not read what he said? It was so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. Not so that he could stay blind the rest of his life and somehow God get glory for it. It was so that right there in that moment he would get healed and give God glory for his healing. Not for being sick. Come on. You know? Jesus was like, when, it, when, that came, when he came on the scene of that one, he was like, you know, y'all are totally missing it. You're focused on the sin. I'm focused on redemption. You're focused on why you don't deserve it. You're focused on how this whole thing can't work out. Because if it's according to his sin, there's no hope for him. But I came to take sin away. Jesus said. I came to take the sins away. away. That's so good. It doesn't matter if the guy had sin. Why? Because Jesus was about to pay for it. Jesus had already paid for it eternally. This is why this is why this is why Elijah could operate in healing. He's pulling something down from that wasn't in his time. There was no sacrifice for sin that was permanent that could save somebody. Elijah was pulling something down from heaven that some, nobody else believed for. You know, a lot of people, well, Jesus did the miracles because he was God. Well, what about Elijah? Was he God? No. Elisha, he wasn't God. Peter wasn't God. John wasn't God. Paul wasn't God. Uh, all these other guys, Philip wasn't God. You know? So the, the miracles don't, don't say, oh, this is divinity. The miracles prove a message. That's what it says in Mark chapter 16. And they went about preaching the gospel and with signs and wonders confirming their message. The signs and wonders only confirm a message. What was Jesus' message? That he was sent by God to save the world. Come on. All right, so... Clearly, Jesus taught his disciples that faith is how the same works. All right? However, you will also notice that even if someone didn't have faith, watch this, even though he didn't have faith, he didn't leave them without getting healed when they came to him. That's because Jesus also demonstrated how to stand in the gap for someone who did not have faith. Mark chapter 6 and Matthew 17 are the examples. So here's the deal. If someone comes to you and they don't have the faith, then now it's your turn as a believer who's praying for them to rid yourself of unbelief and your faith will move the mountain for them. In Matthew chapter 17, you'll notice that even though absolutely nobody there had any faith, Jesus did have faith. He taught them that in that moment, if only one person had faith, nothing would be impossible for them after he demonstrated it. Mark chapter 6, you'll notice that they had astonishing unbelief, and he still healed a few. Their unbelief hindered a mighty work from happening, but Jesus' faith still managed to heal a few. And again, it comes down to anybody. Anyone can do this. Anyone with a mustard seed sign of faith can move any mountain. It's not a matter of God's will. We can see right here in Scripture that the perfect will of God is compassion. You know? The will of God is that you believe and overcome. That's the will of God. The will of God is you believe and overcome. And never give up, no matter what you see. Don't fall for the age of lie. Did God really say, John in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we violate God's will daily when we exercise doubt and unbelief. God's will isn't 
most people that have the thinking that um, that God's will happens, you know, whenever somebody's still sick or God's will still happens if, some, if they're healed, whatever God's will is, it's going to happen. Those people don't believe that God's will can be violated. But the problem is God's will is violated on a daily basis when we don't have faith. That is the perfect will of God that we operate in faith. So when we're not operating in faith, then the will of God is violated. That's called sin. What do you think sin is? God's will? <laughs> God's will isn't for sin to happen. God's will is for redemption. God's will is for salvation. God's will is for sin to not exist anymore. That's why Jesus came. To abolish the thing that wasn't in the will of God. We violate God's will when we choose to believe our experience over God's word. We are riddled with unbelief and arrogance. We need to be saturated with his word. And if we love the world, it will distract us. All right, so I think I'm on my last little page here, I think. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Verse 40 through 42. It says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus moved with compassion stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. It's important to note, first of all, some people will say, well, this is talking about his, his sin, not his sickness. That's a lie. That contradicts the scripture. Isaiah 54, I mean 53, talks about how Jesus came to heal us of our diseases and how he also came to take away our sickness. So the cross, Jesus dying on the cross, paid the penalty for both. So when he says you're cleansed, he was talking about both, not just one or the other. In fact, according to the Levitical law, if you had leprosy, you were in sin. You were unclean. Sickness made you unclean, according to the Old Testament. This is why Jesus had to pay for sin and for sickness. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. The very first one I listen here. He forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases. Jesus paid the price for all of them. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. God is willing because of the compassion. We've already talked about that over and over and over again. No one is exempt from his compassion or his willingness to heal. We know this because he died for all. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, 15 says that he died for all. But not all receive his promises. Jesus didn't heal this guy and say, well, I ran out of compassion. <laughs> the line doesn't stop right here. Everybody go home. No more healings for the day or for the next two millennia for that matter. No. The compassion and willingness is still there right now and today, but it's hard for us to believe that. Well, that's doubt. We must believe, as this man also struggled with, the Father is willing. And he didn't run out of compassion after healing this leper. And again, it goes back to Isaiah 54. It talks about his compassion. His compassion. His compassion. Over and over and over. Why does God forgive us of our sins? Why does he heal us of our diseases? Because of compassion. So if God is compassion, is God, and the next question is, is God capable of running out of compassion? You know? Because if he's not willing to, if he's not capable of running out of compassion, especially since Jesus paid for your sin. <laughs> That's so awesome. And even when we were in sin, he still didn't run out of compassion. That's why he sent Jesus. For God so loved the world, that he sent his only begotten son, 
where God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, when do you need compassion the most? When you're in sin. When you're in sin. Jesus didn't wait for them to get cleaned up before he had compassion on them. It was when they were messed up that he had compassion on them. That's when compassion was needed. It's like trying to give water to somebody who's not thirsty. You know? This is good stuff. Hmm. His compassion never runs dry. Every gift from God is hindered by unbelief. Don't be fooled. Many times we believe we don't deserve it. That's, that's where we're going wrong again. We're forgetting the cross. Love was the reason he came, and love was the reason he died, and love was the reason he forgave and healed diseases. Man, it's good stuff. I'm going I'm, I'm to close it right there, man. I could keep going, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is done. Thank you, Father. That was good. Thank you, Father. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word. Will set in hearts of men. Will set people free from unsound doctrines. Doctrines that you never taught. Doctrines that Jesus never, ever expounded on. Yet we hold down to so dearly because we don't want to face our unbelief. I thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much to tell us that we had unbelief so that we would learn how to fix it. That we would press into the Word of God and believe it no matter what. And not let our distrust cause us to waver, but to give glory to God, even in our dark situation. And thanking God in the middle of our trial. And believing God for the victory in the middle of our trial. I thank you, Father, that, that having faith does not excuse us from trial. It actually beckons us to trial. So that we can overcome the trial. I thank you, Father, you've given us an overcoming faith. Not a faith that leads us to being comfortable. Thank you for tuning in to the Bold as a Lion ministry podcast. For additional teaching, prayer, information, or support, please visit our website at www.boldasalignministries.com. Subscribe to our Facebook for updates on what God is doing in our ministries and our YouTube page for updated teachings hosted at the Barracks Discipleship and Recovery House. For weekly refreshing word, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or Podomatic. We pray strength and blessing for you and yours and for the courage to walk boldly for God.